Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Asked and Answered Questions With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola Steelers move-in day for training camp is next Wednesday Just a little bit over a week away as we are recording this on a Tuesday If you were with us last week, you know we started our two-part series of training camp events That helped shape the franchise's history in anticipation of 2023 camp opening And Last week was about Mean Joe Green and his first experience at training camp. And Labs, this week you've got a story for us that's a little bit more modern for Steelers Nation. Yeah, actually one that I witnessed with my uh, <laughs> own with my own eyes. And uh, it was 19, oh, excuse me, 19, 2004. <laughs> um, who was the first round pick that year? Uh, what's his name? What I think it was a B, name? right? A B, Yeah, Brad. Ben Roethlisberger, oh, okay, that. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at the time of the start of training camp and even, uh, the time of this particular anecdote that I'm going to relate, you know, Ben, uh, Tommy Maddox was the starting quarterback. I mean, that was not in doubt. It wasn't, um, it wasn't a situation where Ben was going to have a chance to win the job in training camp. I mean, um, Bill Cowher was pretty much set on Tommy Maddox as the starting quarterback when training camp opened. And so that's where we were uh, at Latrobe. It was a Saturday practice. And um, I was standing on the sideline next to Tunchilkin. And we're watching uh, the, the team go through their day's work. And it, it came upon to an 11 on 11 drill. No, it was 11 on 11, but there was no tackling or anything. So just to kind of set the scene for the listeners here. And Ben was the quarterback. And at the time, the way that it was working was Ben was, um, he was second because Charlie Batch had already gone on injured reserve with his knee injury. And so that kind of opened up a lot more repetitions for the rookie and, um, you know, it also allowed him to practice with more of the players who were higher up on the depth chart at the respective positions because that's the way that it worked then and it still kind of works that way now. You know, if you're a starter, you usually practice with starters. If you're third team, you usually practice with third teamers and you have an opportunity to elevate yourself or, you know, lose your spot based on how you perform in practice. Okay, so anyway, it's 11 on 11, and um, Tunch and I are standing on the right, you know, the offense is moving, as they say, uh, left to right on your radio <laughs> dial. And uh, we were standing on the, on the um, if you know, as the offense lined up, we were standing on the right, right-hand sideline. Okay, so uh, the ball is snapped, and as I mentioned, it was a non-contact drill, the pass rush kind of broke through the initial protection. So Ben 
you know, flushed himself out of the pocket, and he's running in a dead sprint to, towards me and Tunch, standing there. Without stopping, without planting, he just kind of turned his torso and fired a rope down the middle of the field. And at this point, he was far enough towards the sideline where he's kind of throwing it back, back across the field to the middle. And uh, there was a receiver there, a free agent receiver named Zamir Cobb from Temple. And Ben put this ball, he hit him in stride, and Zamir Cobb's number was 19. He hits him between the one and the nine, and you could <laughs> hear it. I mean, it, it, would, it, would, it, went, it got to Zamir Cobb on a rope, and, you know, it was, wasn't one of those, um, you know, rainbows. Uh, that, that wasn't the way. And it was 30 yards downfield, and it stuck him right in the chest. And, you know, before I could even say anything, Tunch looked at me and said, Brett Favre. <laughs> um, now, just to remind fans, you know, Tunch played all but one year of his career with the Steelers. His last year in the NFL was with the Green Bay Packers. <coughs> <coughs> and um, he, excuse me for that, by the way, and he um, played with Brett Favre. So, you know, he had a pretty good feel for uh, what he was saying in terms of that comparison. And, um, you know, as we know, the rest is history. But that, to me, was one of the most amazing things I ever saw. Field level, uh, it was very impressive the way he was on a dead run. And, you know, those kinds of plays came to be known as Ben being Ben. Yes. And, um, and it ushered in a you know, a second era of Super Bowl championships for the franchise, both of which, uh, the, both of those games started by Ben Roethlisberger um, and um, obviously had a long and very successful NFL career. I'm sure he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But uh, on that day, he was just a rookie who was wowing the crowd and a couple of media types standing on the field who had firsthand look at it. Yeah, you know, I mean, Tommy Maddox had been coming off of a couple of good years, you know, a lot of team success with him into that camp, and you guys watching Ben on the sidelines, it's just, it's so different from just an average good quarterback to the elite quarterbacks. It's Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advanced status required comparison based on bank rate average federally insured by ncua night and day compared to the skill sets yeah and i mean it was you know i don't i don't pretend to be a, a scout or you know a, uh, an evaluator or you know one of those pro football focus experts or anything but i'm telling you i could tell the difference i mean that's how obvious it was that this guy was something special this guy was something that i don't know i i can honestly say I had never seen um, that level of ability that close. And, um, yeah, it was it's something I remember to this day. I mean, I didn't have to – that story I related just now, I didn't have to look any of that up. That's permanently yeah. embedded in my memory. 
Uh, and oh, let me just one last thing. Samir Cobb actually made the team uh, for the start of that season based on the fact that for a good bit of that training camp, he was playing with Ben. You know, when Ben was 13, he was 13. And then he, you know, he and Ben de uh, developed enough of, a, enough of a rapport where when Ben was elevated, uh, Zamir Cobb got to run some second team too. And that rapport or whatever, that they con it continued. And Zamir Cobb, you know, he never had what we would call an NFL career or anything. But because he didn't drop the ball when the rookie from Miami of Ohio stuck it in his chest, <laughs> um, you know, he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Let's get to today's questions. Matthew McKenna from Brook Park, Ohio, asks our first one. If the starting quarterback is replaced during a game for some reason, injury or performance, when their team is losing, and then the backup comes in and wins the game, which quarterback gets the win added to his record? Or if the backup comes in when the team is winning and then the team loses, who is assigned the loss? Okay, the first number one is uh, the NFL does not employ the same criteria as Major League Baseball uh, does for assigning, you know, who the winning pitcher is in a game. You know, and in the major leagues, you got to pitch at least five innings as a starter to get a win. If you leave the game with a when your team has the lead and then your team ultimately wins the game you get the win if they're losing um you know and at the time and they end up losing you get the loss i mean all of those baseball rules okay that's not the way it works in the nfl um it, it in the nfl it's very simple whoever starts the game as the quarterback if the team wins or loses gets the win or loss added to his record as a starter. There is no, you know, if, let's just, you know, and I'm picking names out of a hat here. Uh, okay, Ben starts the game. Uh, the, uh, the Steelers are winning when he is taken out for an injury, and then the Steelers end up losing. Okay, that loss goes on Ben Roethlisberger's record as a starter, just as an example. So, uh, that's that's the way it's done, and that's why I believe that in football, the uh, record as a starter for a quarterback, while it is compiled and and you know kept and all that stuff, it doesn't have the same emphasis that a pitcher's Major League Baseball's pitcher's record does in terms of wins or losses. Chris Ballmer from Allentown, Pennsylvania. I watched the Bryant McFadden Patrick Peterson All Things Covered podcast that featured Troy Polamalu, where they spoke about the brotherhood they all experienced in Pittsburgh. They also mentioned Ray Horton, of whom I always thought highly. What happened that Ray Horton moved on? Okay, when Dick LeBeau was brought back to the Steelers by Bill Coward to be the defensive coordinator in 2004, um, Ray Horton was hired as the assistant defensive backs coach. You know, Ray Horton and Dick LeBeau had a long-time relationship. Horton was a defensive back as a player for the Bengals when Dick LeBeau was a, a coach there, um, you know, before he even came to the Steelers. So when uh, LeBeau was brought back, Horton was uh, added to the assistant staff as well. So then Bill Cowher retired. 
after the 2006 season, Mike Tomlin was hired in 2007, and Tomlin retained Horton and then also promoted him to defensive backs coach. Okay, so then now fast forward to February 9th, 2011, which is three days after the loss to Green Bay in Super Bowl 45, uh, Horton accepted a job to become the defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. So uh, he left uh, Pittsburgh for a promotion. He went to Arizona. And then most recently, you know, he was the coach of the Pittsburgh Maulers who played in the <laughs> That's right. USFL championship game. So, um, you know, I always had a lot of respect for Ray Horton. Um, I think he did some good things here. What his future is, you know, I cannot speculate, but that's how he uh, came to Pittsburgh, and that's how he left Pittsburgh. Rob Rowley from New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. We all know Heath Miller is the best tight end in franchise history, but who is the second best? Um, for me, that would be L.B. Nickel. Uh, L.B. Nickel came to the Steelers as a 17th-round pick in the 1947 NFL Draft. Uh, that was 149 overall. Um, in those days, you know, the, the late 40s and then early into the 50s, the, the NFL didn't classify the position as tight end. They just called those uh, players left end and right end. And then in the backfield, instead of a flanker, they were left halfback, right halfback, and fullback. Those were the three backs instead of, now it's two running backs and a, you know, another wide receiver. So anyway, Nickel was never uh, specifically designated a tight end, but the position that he lined up as right right end uh, was, you know, since teams were right-handed uh, at the time, that was the strong side of the offensive formation, which is you know now the tight end side. Even though tight ends flip back and forth, all of that stuff has evolved, but. You know, L.B. Nickel played the position that eventually became known in the NFL as a tight end. Uh, Nickel played his college football in, at Cincinnati over uh, 11 seasons and 131 games. He caught 329 passes for 5,131 yards, a 15.6 average, and 37 touchdowns. Uh, Nickel was voted to three Pro Bowls and he was inducted into the Steelers Hall of Honor as part of the class of 2019. Sure you don't want to have any love for uh, Jesse James there in that question for the second-best tight end? <laughs> did it cross your mind at all? Uh, uh, no, oh, okay. neither, and, uh, neither did Eric Green, too, <laughs> just to throw that out there as well. Eric Ash from Wellsville, New York. It seems we often remember past players to have been far better or much worse than they actually were. In addition to field goal percentages, kickers are also judged by their performance on PATs, kickoffs, how they play in high-pressure situations, ability to avoid injury, and how they contribute to or detract from team chemistry. In your opinion, who is the Steelers' best kicker since the merger? Um, for me, it would come down to either Sean Sweezum or Chris Boswell. Um, and, you know, Sweezum was injured, and that shortened his career. And so that was one of the criteria that Eric listed in his question. Um, so, you know, I know Boswell has had some minor injuries that have uh, nagged him over uh, some portions of some of his seasons. Um, you know, based on his career statistics with the Steelers, um, 
those being Boswell converting 100% of his field goal attempts in eight playoff games, uh, plus the fact that he has converted 90-plus percent of his field goal attempts in five of his eight seasons, uh, I'd go with Boswell. Troy Deck from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Whenever I'm reading an article about current or former players, it usually mentions how many times they appeared in the Pro Bowl. In today's day and age, does that honor mean as much as it used to? I mean, Ravens quarterback Tyler Huntley was named to the Pro Bowl last year, for goodness sakes. So, so many players decline to, decline to play and then replacements are named, and it gets to the point where second-rated and third-rated players at particular positions are now being named as replacements. Okay, I, um, Troy, I, I, don't, I cannot judge what the general consensus might be regarding the level of honor that now comes with being selected at the Pro Bowl. Uh, but for me personally, I always choose to note when a player is voted to the Pro Bowl as a starter uh, because that indicates he was among the highest vote-getters among his peers at the position. And then truly the significant individual honor along those lines is when a player is voted first-team associated press all-pro. Um, as an example, uh, when the NFL conducted the 2022 Pro Bowl game, there were about 88 players on the conference rosters combined. Okay, Now you compare that to the Associated Press first-team all-pro team. That... Um, is made up of only 28 players total. 11 on offense, 11 on defense, and six and six on special teams. Okay, to break those 28 players down by position, there's one quarterback, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, one left tackle, one right tackle, one left guard, one right guard, and one center on offense. So that's pretty much a, a lineup as it is now uh, in the NFL because most teams do not use fullbacks. They use wide three wide receivers and a tight end. Okay, On defense, there's two edge rushers, two interior defensive linemen, three linebackers, two cornerbacks, and two safeties. Again, a fairly typical personnel alignment for a defense. And then on special teams, there's a place kicker, a punter, a kickoff returner, a punt returner, a special teams player that usually a guy who's making tackles and stuff, and one long snapper. So if you're first team all pro, you see the elite kind of group it is based on just the number of people selected as opposed to a Pro Bowl roster. You know, as Troy mentioned, there are injuries and replacements and guys who don't want to go you know, and all that kind of stuff. Jimmy Cruz from City Terrace, California. I know T.J. Watt won the Defensive Player of the Year Award a couple of years ago. How many other Steelers have won that award, and who were they? Okay, T.J. Watt was uh, voted uh, Defensive Player of the Year in 2021, and this is a list of the other Steelers to win the award. Uh, in 1972, Joe Green won it. In 1974, Joe Green won it. 1975, Mel Blunt won it. 1976, Lambert won it. Jack Lambert. 1993, it was Rod Woodson. 2008, it was James Harrison. 2010, it was Troy Polamalu. Uh, and 2021, T.J. Watt. And let me just make this point again as I made this 
point last week during my Joe Green um, training camp story. Okay, in 1969, Joe Green was Defensive Rookie of the Year. In 1972 and 1974, he was Defensive Player of the Year. So in the five seasons that it took Chuck Knoll to win, to take a team that never won anything to a team that won a Super Bowl championship, Joe Green was essentially the best defensive player in the NFL three of those five years. So, you know, just think about that for a little bit when you're talking about impact of a guy. Um, and that's, that's, that's very, very significant in my opinion. Three times in five years, he was the best defensive player in the year of the best defensive player in the league. And today's final question comes from Andrew Sherbick from Portsmouth, Virginia. Which rookie do you feel will have the most immediate impact? Um, I will go with Joey Porter Jr. Uh, you know, we're still in the pre-training camp period here. So, you know, it's still kind of speculation at this part. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, when you look at Joey Porter Jr.'s skill set, where he was drafted, and the openings that the Steelers theoretically have on their uh, depth chart, I think he's going to get an, uh, an opportunity to play fairly quickly. Um, and, you know, in addition to Joey Porter's uh, skill set, which was on display during the offseason program, uh, veteran Patrick Peterson was quoted as saying during that same time that while some young players who come in, they believe they have all the answers, he said that Porter wants to be coached, he wants to learn, and wants to become great. So I think when you combine, you know, uh, the physical skill set with what I perceive to be a pretty decent opportunity to play soon and the attitude that Porter seems to be exhibiting, uh, he has the chance to have the most immediate impact of the, of all the rookies. Well, just a quick follow-up question about that. Joey Porter Jr., the only member of the rookie class to not sign a deal yet. You think that's just, you know, business by the time training camp rolls around, that'll be all settled. Yeah, I do. I mean, there's really nothing in it uh, to be a holdout because, right. you know, and this is just my take of this. I don't know any of this to be true, but what I believe is at work here is uh, Joey Porter Jr. is the, was the 32nd pick of the draft. So I believe that the players association has been in touch with his agent maybe, and they're trying to get Porter a contract that's commensurate with being a number one pick, even though he wasn't right. a number one pick. And by that, the the major thing I think would that would be at, at, um, at issue would be the amount of guaranteed money. You know, most, most contracts for number one picks are fully guaranteed. So I think that the union would like to break that a little bit and so that then next year they have a precedent to fall back on well this guy uh, wasn't a number one pick and he got a fully guaranteed contract so we think that this guy who's not a number one pick this year should get a fully guaranteed contract um, my uh, time with the Steelers franchise uh, has taught me that those kind of tactics do not work uh, on the Roonies and so, um, you know, I just think that it'll, it may come down to the wire. It probably will come down to the wire. But that's, you know, he's not going to get a fully guaranteed contract. 
and he'll report to training camp because you know what's the option? Right. Okay? There isn't any. The the 2011 CBA virtually eliminated any reason to hold out. Um, and I don't know that Joey Porter uh, wants to dive on a hand grenade, you know, for third, uh, you know, first picks of the second round, you know, down the road. You know, that doesn't do him any good. He's only going to be the first pick of the second round one time. If the Steelers aren't going to budge, and I don't believe they will, you know, what are you going to do? Beat your head against the wall? I mean, you know, there. I could give you a list of guys who tried that and it didn't work out for them. So. Yeah, I think it's business as usual. He'll be at training camp when uh, uh, when the, when the practices start. I would I imagine he's going to be there the twenty sixth when players are due to report. Players will move into their dorms on the twenty sixth. Labs will move into his dorm on the twenty sixth as well. I know he's very excited about that, but that's well, going to well the ask you know the ask and answered suite in <laughs> um, Benedict Hall. I mean, I understand there were a lot of upgrades to that you know, the hot tubs and, you know, all of that stuff. Oh, so, wow. you know, if you want to stop up and visit, uh, I'll all, you're Doors always, always open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll even, I'll even give your name to the security guard so no stationed outside happens. the door. So no confusion. Absolutely. Well, that's all the questions we have for you this week. We will be back again next week for another asked and answered before the Steelers move into St. Vincent College at Latrobe. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opperman, and thanks as always for listening to Asked and Answered. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.